ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, borei pri hagafin, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai Mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh Nora te'ilot o'osef 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabat, la'asot et hashabat la'doratam barit olam, b'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam, Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi shvat vayenefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. For all our days, Lord, that we would praise you, that we would sing of your glory, Yahweh Elohim.
Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Land Ministries. Welcome to our Arab Shabbat service uh, here at B'nai Shalom. This Sabbath is the Sabbath we call Tazria. That's our portion in Leviticus. And as we've now gotten into the book of Leviticus, I don't know if you quite detected the shift, but let me uh, go back and make sure you understand kind of where we're at in that book. Uh, Back in Exodus, we learned all about the tabernacle. We learned all about the priestly garments and how that was to be done. And as we got into the book of Leviticus, we then learned now this tabernacle is a place where you come and you bring your sacrifices and gifts to the Lord. These are the types of gifts. This is when a person wants to do it. This is what they'll be bringing. And then we had the instructions to the priesthood as to how they will handle each of those sacrifices. What are the methods they would use and the techniques they would do for it. But then now the book has shifted slightly to now talking about things that most people usually don't like to hear about in the faith. And it speaks directly to things like personal hygiene and infectious type diseases and the laws of purity and clean and unclean. And at last week's portion, we even looked at Leviticus 11, clean and unclean food. Let me give you a word picture here and to summarize as best I can, what is God doing here and why is this instruction being given to us? So we have this tabernacle temple and it's a holy place. Uh, it's, it's, being, it's been set up in a very special way uh, with God in the Holy of Holies and the Ark, the Covenant, and the, the table of showbread, the menorah coming out, the altar, the priesthood that served there, the laver. Everything is done in very precise terms on how it's to be done. And the idea that this is all holy stuff. So now we start bringing people to this holy place. And God is now saying, okay, not only was there standards for my holy place, there's standards of holiness for you. And the book of Leviticus, the primary purpose of the book is talking about purification and holiness, how we are to be holy. In fact, in Leviticus 18, it specifically said, I am holy, I want you to be ye holy as well. And here's the idea. If you're going to come into this holy place, you need to be holy. But there are things that we can do as humans in the form of eating different things, uh, certain diseases we may get, certain life events that will take place that put us in a classification of not acceptable in the temple. 
not acceptable to come forth. And so we have a set of commandments now that's being addressed and given to us about having to do with um, infection and quarantining and, and disinfection. And then we have some about ritual purity, about certain things that God uh, has very specific definitions on about life and that you'll not cross those lines. Don't be coming into my temple with these kinds of things. You must be holy in the terms to be able to come in. So let me simplify this the easiest way I possibly can, and this is the picture. So here you are, and you want to go to the temple, and you want to worship the Lord. So you get your sacrifice, just as the law specifies. You go before the priest. He examines it. He gets ready to present it. You go in the temple. You present it. It goes up on the altar, and inside your stomach, you're still digesting your pork chop, God sees you all the way through. He sees your outward person. He sees your heart. He sees your thinking. And he knows what you've been eating. And if he has specified and said, I don't want any of that kind of stuff associated with holiness and with me, and you decide you want to consume it and go in there and worship the Lord, you are defiling not only yourself, you're defiling the temple. And so he has specified certain things are going to be done his way, and he wants us to be holy like he is holy. Now, of course, the counter-argument that is made to all that by a lot of our Christian friends is, look, I can eat pork if I want to. It doesn't have anything to do with salvation. You're right. It doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It does have some things to do about health, but more importantly... If you want to come before God and expect God to be gracious and merciful to you, and you went into your temple that is in you before the Lord, and your temple is full of unclean things that God has said are unclean, then how do you think God views that? I would submit to you, he's not happy. And it's very clear from the scripture that he's not happy, you know, from it. So let's go into some other things that the Torah teaches us with regard to this. I mentioned food. That's Leviticus chapter 11. But now in our Torah portion of Tazria, we're in chapter 12. And so it says, hey, there are some rules with regard to a woman giving childbirth. Specifically, it says, that the woman who gives birth to a male child, that she is considered impure for 40 days. That there has to be, from the time of the birth, there has to be a period of at least 40 days before she can come back to the temple and enter in to do her normal thing. And there is a particular sacrifice she has to bring. Now, I'm sure Ephraim is going to make mention of this to you in the New Testament because this is essentially what Mary and Joseph were doing when they brought Yeshua to the temple for the first time. They were satisfying the law of purification that is mentioned in this portion. And then it jumps down and it deals with the subject of leprosy. Now, for us in America and most of the Western nations, leprosy is this ancient biblical disease, uh, very devastating, uh, to people, incurable, uh, rots the flesh away, uh, cause uh, horrific things, and you die 
uh, from it. And obviously, it's highly infectious. And so God specified about that particular disease, and it sets an example for how we deal with other diseases, that you are to steer clear and stay away from a person who has that. You are to classify them as unclean and not have anything to do with them. Here recently, in this last year, couple of years, we've been dealing with the pandemic, and they've been talking about six feet away and face masks and things like that. Those simple procedures are similar to the Bible Accord about how you deal with a person with leprosy. You maintain some level of quarantine and separation from it so you don't come in contact. And in this portion, it gives details about diagnosing the leprosy and about how to deal with the person who has leprosy. Next week's portion is going to deal with the cleansing of the leper uh, when we get to Metzora. Now, with that as an introduction to that's our Torah portion, I want to take you to the Haftorah portion that we have, and it specifically is dealing with the idea of a person who has leprosy and how the prophet Elisha was dealing with this person uh, who had this. So we are in 2 Kings chapter 5, and it tells this rather interesting story about not about an Israelite, but about a man who was an Aramean. And he was a great warrior. He was like a general of the army for Aram. And, and he, but he had one problem. He had leprosy. Great general, doing a great job, but he has leprosy. And this is causing all kinds of trouble for him. And those that want to associate with him have to maintain the separation. And so in, in an effort to help him with it, the king of Aram sends a letter to the king of Israel and says, I'm going to send this man to you. Could you help him to cleanse him of leprosy? Now, the reason why he did that was because Israel had a reputation through past prophets that there had been lepers who had been cleansed. And so he's looking for those kinds of results. He needs this general, Naaman, to be cleansed of leprosy. So he, he, he sends this letter in. It's a very short story. He sends this letter in, and it goes to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says, oh, yeah, I, we know a guy. His name is Elisha. He's kind of the offspring of Elijah. Elijah was a very capable prophet. But this guy is somebody who was trained by Elijah, and he apparently has this power to do this. And so they send the word that Nahum is supposed to go to where Elisha is at. So he travels to where Elisha is at and explains the situation. And the king, of course, has sent messengers to Elisha asking for his assistance. And let me take you now into our portion in 2 Kings 5, what it specifically says about what took place. So it says, verse 9 of chapter 5, So Nahum came with his horses and chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. That's the Jordan River. And your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought, 
he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over his place and cure the leper. And then he goes on to complain about the Jordan River. Are not the Avna and the Farpar, these are rivers, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel, meaning they were cleaner. The river Jordan at this time was known as compared to other rivers, was kind of a dirty looking river. In fact, when you go on tours to Israel uh, and you go to Yardneet where they do the baptisms there at the Jordan River, a lot of people are like shocked because there's a lot of green stuff in the river. I mean, the river looks green. And when, you have to be careful when you're stepping into it because it's, it's a little bit slick and slimy because of the growth in the water. There's not enough water flowing through to really keep it super clean. So things grow in the water. And he, he, it looks, you know, you wouldn't reach down on the Jordan River and just take a big old gulp of it at all. And so he's complaining. He said, wait a minute, that's not even a very clean river. I'm supposed to be clean, cleansed of leprosy from this? That's his complaint. So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman was given instructions on what to do, but he's upset with, for two reasons. One, I thought you would come out and do this nice religious ritual and you would do some real specific things with me, you know, like you'd wave your hand, you call upon the name of the Lord and, and do all this kind of stuff on me. But instead, you sent a messenger to me. You don't even come out of your house and you're telling me to go to this filthy river and dip myself in there seven times. So he's upset. And it says, so verse 13, then his servants, Nahum, came near and spoke to him and said, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Had Elisha come out and said, oh, you have to do this incredible thing. You have to give this amount. You have to do these things. Would you not have done it? And the answer is yes, you would have. But he came out and he simply said, go wash and clean, you know, at the river. What, what is the problem? Why are you upset? You know, with regard to this, as a result of that conversation, he went down, verse 14, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And when he returned to the man of God, he went back to Elijah with all of his company and came and stood before him. He said, Behold now, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. You know, Nahum came prepared to pay a price. Elisha wasn't interested in your, your pay for the price. He's not selling the service. He's giving instructions from God about what you need to do. You go do them, fine. And now Nahum is coming back and he's offering the gift, not as payment for services, but he's offering a gift of thanksgiving. By the way, that model is exactly the same model that is upon us with the Lord. God doesn't, dealing with us, he doesn't come off his throne, zip down here to the earth, 
stand at your front door, make some bold proclamation about what you need to do, and then you offer something up to him at that time. Instead, what he does is he remains seated on his throne. He sends you messengers with the word of what you're to do. And it's usually far more simple than you thought it was going to take. Like, ask and you'll receive. You know, simple things like, uh, ask me, I'll forgive you. Repent, you'll be fine. Uh, Simple things. But, you know, we want it more complicated. And as a result, if we'll simply do it the way the Lord says, then we'll see He really is God. He really is involved in our lives. He really does the things that He says. And then when we come and present our gift toward the Lord, it's a true gift of thanksgiving and praise. It's a true gift from the heart, you know, for that. And that is what the book of Leviticus is trying to teach through all of these laws with regard to purity and, and the other things that it deals with, the clean and the unclean. Now, there are some parts of God's commandments that have to do with what we call ritual purity. They symbolize other very powerful spiritual concepts. One of the major ones is the fact of baptism itself. Baptism is this picture of you washing away your sins. It's also a picture of dying, uh, going down into the grave, and then rising up in newness of life. There there are very powerful uh, thematic themes, religious themes, that are embedded within it. And an observant uh, person going to the temple in the days of Yeshua, they would generally go down to the baptismal baths, which was on the southern wall. They would dip and they would get baptized and they would come out before they ever went up on the temple mount. They, the whole idea of going to the temple, they wanted to make sure that they were clean and not impure. They, they wanted to make sure that there was no issue, that they, they weren't going to be defiling anything if they went into the temple. It was very important that we not be personally defiled when we're trying to go and do business before the Lord. And by the way, the Lord says that's what He wants from us. That's how He wants us to approach Him in clean and proper and in good order uh, to do business with him. But we live in a world in which that, uh, a, a religious world, in which that because there's a lack of understanding of these commandments in the Torah, they haven't been taught to them, because there's a, they, they see liturgical things and ritual things as being wrong and contrary to faith, somehow they're contrary to faith, why they see them as useless, uh, and so And everything gets put back to the subject of being saved. And I have a lot of Christian brothers who believe that now that they have a testimony of salvation, 
They can just go eat and do all the unclean things they would love to do. And they don't understand how the Lord responds to that. This is part of the reason why their prayers don't get answered. This is the reason why they, their faith doesn't seem to work for them correctly. Sometimes when they pray for others, the Lord doesn't listen to them. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's absolute. I mean, God is the judge. He's going to decide where your heart's at and so forth. But I can tell you this. Um, purposely denying these commandments and, and trying to refute them before God, you are trying to attack God's definition on what holiness is and how to be holy um, and actually taking the steps that are unholy you know, before God, literally blaspheming, going contrary and saying the opposite of what God has said about these things. I take you to um, uh, a passage of Scripture in um, Acts chapter 15. That was the council to Jerusalem, and which that we had these Gentiles coming in in the faith. And you know these Gentiles. You know, they eat unclean things. They're involved with unclean stuff. Uh, they're touching dead bodies and walking around, and they're not following the waters of, of purification. You know, they, they don't know anything about those commandments. And, and here they come, these Gentiles. They're believing in Yeshua, and they're coming in, and they're going to be part of the assembly. And we Jews who follow all these commandments, we're looking at them, we're going, ah, you know, we can't have them here. And that was the controversy uh, that was going on in Acts 15. There were some Pharisaic believers who were objecting to the Gentiles coming into the assembly because they're so unclean. And in particular, um, that they weren't circumcised and they weren't keeping the law, the commandments of the law, and all this kind of business. And if you go down through Acts 15 and you see what happened, Peter is one of the first guys who gives direct testimony to the fact that he saw Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit in the house of Cornelius, that God gave him a vision and explained to him that he's not to call something unclean that God calls holy. And so that was the reason why God dispatched him to these Gentiles, these unclean Gentiles, to show to him that, that God can make you holy, that he's the determinant, not you. And so he had led those people to the Lord, and he recounts this. So now we've got to work out the details. How do we have all these Gentile believers coming in? And James, who is sitting in, in judgment of the whole matter, that's how they would resolve these kind of conflicts. Someone is going to judge the matter. And it was agreed that James would do it. And he judged the matter, and he ruled accordingly. He said, it is okay, because the prophets have said so, that these Gentiles will be coming into the faith, that this gospel goes to all the nations. 
And therefore, what we're trying to resolve here is how can we have table fellowship? In other words, how can we have a Gentile believer come in who, by the way, come from unclean places? How do we make it possible for them to step up to God's definition of holiness and cleanliness and come in and be in fellowship with us? And he writes this letter, dispatching it with two witnesses. It's called the letter to the Gentiles, and it specifies three essentials. Three essentials that have to be done. I'm giving you a warm-up for next week's Torah portion because this subject about clean and unclean and all these kinds of things carries all the way in there. And here's what he does. He says the three essentials are this. You cannot bring any other God into the situation with the God of Israel. He's the one and only God, just like Nahum said. I now know that in Israel there's only one God. That's the one. And you've you got to come to that same point. I'm not going to mix any other gods with the God of Israel. The God of Israel is the one and only God. No idolatry whatsoever. When it comes to sacrificing to a God, I got to do it the way God specified. I got to come to Jerusalem. I got to present my sacrifice. I can't go out and do it on my own. I can't set up a temple somewhere else. I've got to follow what God has said. Otherwise, it's considered idolatry. Number two, I have to abstain from eating blood and things strangled. Well, that has to do with the introduction to what we call kosher. That was in last week's portion. You cannot be eating unclean things, putting them in them, and coming and having table fellowship with us. We can't sit down with me having my brisket and you having your shrimp. We're not going to be in fellowship together. We can't do it. It's got, it's, it, you've got to come to these standards. God said, when you come before me, you come before me holy, not unclean. And then finally, he said, you can't be a pervert. You cannot, you know, be out committing adultery. You can't be doing incest. You can't be bestiality. You can't be a homosexual, a lesbian, a pedophile. You, you can't be any of that because this is to be holy. And God has standards and definitions for what is holy. The idea of walking around and saying that a little boy is not a boy, he's possibly a girl, or that a little girl is not a girl, she's really a little boy, is the most blasphemous act and unholy thing you could say, according to this standard. God has specified the standards of holiness that will be in his assembly and in his sanctuary. And we don't have the right to change any of those laws or change any of that as far as practice goes. So our portion is really teaching and reinforcing for us what I consider some basic common sense things about how we deal with things. None of us, and uh, if I could give a, a gross, simple example, none of us think it's acceptable to have someone else's spittle thrown on our face. We consider that to be very degrading um, and unclean and infuriating and very offensive. 
um, if you have your bleeding, we don't want to get your blood all over us. You know, we don't want to come into contact with that. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want a collection of your old fingernails. Uh, there's, uh, if you, if you got a bad cold and you blow your clothes and into a napkin, uh, or Kleenex and so forth, I don't want to touch that Kleenex. I have some basic common sense things about me that says there's certain things that are unclean. I just don't want to be a part of them. Well, God is telling us there's a bunch of stuff that he just doesn't want to be a part of. And he doesn't want you to be a part of it. That's our lesson. And we see this example from Nahum getting cleansed, that it's a lot simpler to deal with this subject if we just follow the instructions that comes from God, the messenger that's sent to us. This is what you need to do. It's usually simple instructions. Just follow my simple instructions and everything will be fine with you. Nahum followed the instructions and he was cleansed of his leprosy. That's our portion for this week. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book, the Gospel of Luke at uh, chapter 2. Hold your finger at verse 22. And there our Brit Hadashah portion for this week will begin as you open the Scripture. Let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time and this teaching once again that we can dig in to your word each and every week as we study your Torah, your commandments through the law of Moses, and also journey through the prophets and the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. Lord, I pray that you would cause your word to become alive and powerful to us this week. May it encourage us, strengthen us, and encourage us in our most holy faith in you. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So our Torah portion this week is Tezria. Normally it's a part of a double portion of Tezria and Metzora, but for this year it's split into two. And so we get to home in on one particular uh, section, passage, and um, particular uh details when it comes to this one portion of Tezria, which really covers two different subjects. The first one is the commandment and the instruction to when a, a child is born and that the mother, after giving birth, is in a state of ritual uncleanness, and that there's a distinction between the number of days that she's unclean, whether she has a male or a female. For a male, it's a total of 40 days, and for a female, it's a total of 80 days. And then there is a process by which she is to bring a sacrifice sacrifice or an offering after the days of her purification are complete, that uh, she then can bring an offering to the Lord and be made clean. It's covered in eight short verses in Leviticus chapter 12. And then the other part and section and subject of our Torah portion this week is the subject of leprosy which when we start talking about all the details of an uncleanness that's in someone that manifests in sores or lesions on their body, a priest can then diagnose and look and examine them to whether they do have leprosy in accordance with the law of Moses. And then there is a problem. They then need to dwell alone outside of the camp because of their uncleanness. But there's a provision in the Torah that there is a procedure by which if a one with leprosy has been been made clean, they can come and make sacrifice and be declared clean by the priests. Now that's covered in next week's portion of Metzora of the cleansing of the leper. So what we get to talk about
about today is this first section about purity when it comes to a woman, uh, a mother after childbirth, and then the diagnosis of leprosy, what leprosy is, what causes it, that kind of thing. And so that's what we get to dig in this week. And as we are looking at the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah portions, there's a couple of sections that very much uh, point to us and can teach us about this subject. The first one here is in Luke chapter 2, when Mary, the mother of Yeshua, after her days of purification were complete, after giving birth, she then appeared before the Lord at the temple and also presented the Messiah Yeshua to God there at that time. Let us read this passage. Uh, let's actually begin at uh, verse 21, because I want to talk about the fact that we're teaching from the law of Moses, we're teaching about the Torah, that there is proof here in the Gospels that Mary, and the mother of the Messiah, the Messiah himself, that his life followed the commandments of Moses. We say he was sinless, that there was no sin in him, and that he lived his life in accordance with the law of Moses. Well, that is exactly what is given to us as evidence of that to be true here in Luke chapter 2. At verse 21, it begins first with his circumcision. It says this, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, and his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This shows that the Messiah himself was circumcised after the eighth day in accordance with the commandment given to Abraham, that this is what all of the sons born in your, in your household throughout your generations, that this is, it was to happen. And this shows and proves that our Messiah Yeshua, even he, was circumcised on the eighth day. Also, it says that his name was called Jesus, or um, or Joshua, or Yahushua, however it's pronounced in the Hebrew. Um, and this is the name that was given to Mary at this time. Now, it's interesting that it mentions this, because it's at the time of the circumcision. This has created traditions at times throughout uh, generations that the name is announced at the circumcision at the bris, or which is the, the Jewish ceremony of a circumcision of a new child. And that, once again, this is all just proof that our Messiah followed the words in accordance with the law of Moses, but then also what has come out of it for, our, for Christians and followers of the Messiah is some of these new traditions and things to recognize that we believe in the Messiah. And so sometimes we've applied uh, this, these same principles in our own traditions, in our own lives. And sometimes a name is announced at the circumcision of a child. All right, now let's go on to verse 22. Now, when the days of your purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And then verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The, this follows the commandments and instructions coming from the law of Moses, particularly Exodus chapter 34 at verse 19, where it says that every firstborn, that any one male that opens the womb, that they are holy to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. And it says that of even of any male humans, says of the cattle, that the firstborn belong to God. And so what we see is we see Mary, the mother of our Messiah, following the commandments in accordance with the law, 
that to present the child to the Lord and say, this is our firstborn, holy to the Lord. And this is where, we, and so he's presented. So this follows in accordance with Exodus chapter 34. But then the sacrifice that comes in verse 20, in, in verse 24, uh, that says that she brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, and she made the sacrifice, thus fulfilling Leviticus chapter 12, where she was to complete her law of purification. It was a male child, so she was unclean for 40 days. And after 40 days, she then came and made this sacrifice. So here we see the example of Armasai in the course of his life, following the words according to the law of Moses. And Ma, his mother, Mary, and Joseph, knowing this, they go through this pattern and this procedure. We, too, can do some similar things in the traditions. There are some that have the tradition that to the time uh, to present or to um, uh, present a child either before a church or fellowship or a congregation, like a baby dedication, that they come in and they do that. And maybe uh, after 40 days for a male, they come in and they present their child. Now, that scripture in Exodus 34 was only for the firstborn child, so it really might not apply perfectly. But if we build some of our traditions in our faith and in our practices based on the example set by our Messiah and even his mother, that then we too can feel like what, what we do in our day-to-day -day lives follow in accordance with the law of Moses, which is what we are all instructed and commanded to do, to pattern our life after the Messiah, to do our best to live a sinless life, even though we all sin, all, even a righteous man sins seven times a day, daily, the whole key is that we get back up and we attempt and we pursue a Torah-observant lifestyle and that we pursue living a sin-free life, we can do our best to pattern our life after the Messiah himself. That's a small little teaching we can talk about when it comes to uh, the instruction coming to us in the eight short verses of Leviticus chapter 12. So now moving on to the subject of leprosy, everybody's favorite topic. You know that where we, we start talking about, you know, skin disease and, and lesions, and we talk about all different kinds of things that are or are not leprosy, that there is a modern disease that is considered leprosy that is incurable. Then there's other ones that are similar like psoriasis and, and, and eczema that can be treated. And then is that leprosy? Is it not? What, how does this all work? And you go read Leviticus chapter 13, and it's basically like a, a dermatologist's handbook to where it starts talking about, well, if it looks like this, or if the hair has turned white, or if the, the lesion looks like it's you know deeper than just one layer of the skin, and then the priest can examine, and then isolate and then bring them back and then go examine again. And so it kind of looks like this, you know, like a doctor's handbook on how to diagnose uh, some sort of skin disease. And we can talk about that. And it's, it's like, okay, what, what does that really have to do with spiritually? Because it seems like this very physical thing that is right there in the heart of the book of Leviticus. And actually there is, that's kind of how the book of Leviticus reads there in the heart of the Torah, right there in the middle of the book, where it's talking about exactly what you should eat. It's talking about what your skin condition should be. It talks very specifically about, you know, abstaining from blood, eating blood. It has um, all the details of what you have sexual relations with. I mean, so there is a lot of physical instruction there in the book of Leviticus. The main thing that we need to do is we need to look at what is the spiritual instruction? What is it that we're supposed to understand that the spirit of what's going on 
rather than just the physical, because it, it, the physical is important. Yes, we should keep ourselves clean in these ways. We should physically walk out our faith in accordance with the word. But at the same point in time, there's spiritual implications as well. And in fact, this is where I love talking about the, when it comes, when I come to this chapter, talking about some of the rabbinical teachings about what they think about leprosy. And I love what they say, even though our, our, our Jewish brethren who write all those commentaries don't believe in Messiah like we do, that they have not yet confessed their faith and are not a part of the, the spiritual family of Israel through a faith in Messiah, which makes us all sons and daughters of Abraham. I love what they say, and I'll tell you why because they actually admit that they don't really know what it is, which is great. It's always great when somebody can sort of say, they're like, look, the, the, the whole thing about leprosy, the whole thing about cleansing leprosy, we don't even know how leprosy gets cleansed, even though the scripture gives a provision for it. So the Messiahs actually say, you're like, you know what? This is something the Messiah is going to teach us about. The Messiah is going to be the one that's going to prove what, what this is all about. I mean, we can do our best to study it and we can kind of understand it, but the Messiah is going to have to be the one that actually answers it. And that's great because those of us that believe that Yeshua of Nazareth was the Messiah, then we get to look at everything that happened with leprosy in the first century, and then we can start to see and learn and, and read into that. But before we get into the cleansing of the leper, which we'll talk about next week, I want to talk about what causes leprosy. Leprosy is considered by the rabbis to be a physical manf manifestation of a spiritual sin. That basically whenever you uh, sin, that if your sin becomes so rampant or so apparent that it can actually manifest physically on your skin and actually be almost as a sign of uncleanness because of the sin that you have committed. Um, I've written down in my scripture, I have um, seven things that the rabbis actually teach that cause leprosy, the types of sins that can actually manifest physically. These seven things are this, slander, bloodshed, a vain oath, incest or adultery, arrogance, robbery, and greed. These are things that the rabbis teach cause leprosy. Not just that there's this physical uncleanness, not just that there's a bacteria or virus or something that gets into your body, gets into your skin, and then manifests and creates a disease, but that there's actual spiritual actions we take that because the un sin causes uncleanness, that our bodies, our physical bodies actually manifest the sin. And so then something shows up on your skin. Where did that come from? Where, where, I mean, you could you maybe could take the most simplest uh, uh, explanation of this, where it's like, so if you're doing something with your body that you shouldn't be doing, like getting into a fight, uh, so then your body gets banged around and then suddenly there's a bruise on your skin. It's like, where'd that bruise come from? Well, if you didn't get into a fight or if you didn't do something dumb and walk into a wall like you shouldn't, then you wouldn't have a bruise there. So that bruise is a sign of your stupidity or a mistake that you made. That might be the simplest way that you could manifest such a thing. But the rabbis and people who are religious, who believe in God, believe even our sin can cause this to happen. So you sit there and you wonder, you're like, okay, I mean, that should kind of scare us a little bit. Because the, some of the sins that you might commit might be secretive sins, especially, you know, incest, adultery, the sexual sins, whatever. Those are all done in secret and private. You kind of keep those things to yourself. But the Lord will not let the guilty go unpunished. 
somebody who is who has lived their life full of sin or who has slandered others or murdered somebody in secret, their sin will be found out. And you know what? Maybe all these people that committed that that later developed leprosy, it's because there was a sin that somebody could not run away from, and the Lord did not let the guilty go unpunished. So they were separated from their people, separated from their from the cities and their families and from their congregations because of leprosy. One of the things that we teach uh, here in this ministry when we come to this uh, come to this tour portion is the fact that we ourselves like to, we don't like to, but what we end up doing is we end up declaring people to be unclean because of what we perceive their sin to be. We project leprosy on others. We say that it's all like, oh, did, do, do you know what that person did? Oh, they did something terrible or whatever. Ooh, that's that. I, I don't like that. They're, they're unclean because they do that. They act that way. And sometimes we don't judge others properly and in accordance with the word of God. And we gossip about people. And what we actually are doing is this. This is the, the concept of spiritual leprosy. We cast leprosy on others because of some action we perceive that, that is wrong. And we say, ooh, they're unclean. You shouldn't be with them. But then what happens later is that if you gossip about somebody or if you're lying about them or you're then not actually saying something rightly and appropriately, suddenly what you were trying to project onto them ends up on you. You then get found out of your lying tongue that you said something that wasn't true or said something you shouldn't have said. Even if it's true, it's not the right way to handle the situation. So then when you get found out, then guess what? You're the one who's unclean. You're the one who can't be trusted. You're the one whose word is no good. And you're the one who might be cast out of a community or a fellowship or a congregation for being a liar and a gossip rather than what you were trying to project onto somebody else. And see, that's the thing that we have to be mindful of not to do this. Because in accordance with the word and in the scripture, Leviticus 13, it's the priest that made this determination. Guess what? We're, we're, we're not all priests in accordance with the law of Moses. Now, we are to be a kingdom of priests as the children of Israel, but that doesn't mean that we get to go around and we get to judge in accordance with the law of Moses when it specifically says, no, the, the, the priests, the, the sons of Aaron, the ones operating in the temple in Jerusalem, that's when leprosy gets declared. And there's a whole plan and procedure. Do you go through this procedure when you're trying to cast leprosy on somebody else? to go and you find out and you're like, hey, are, is everything okay? And they're like, well, no, they, something's not right or whatever. Okay, well, let's isolate for seven days. Then let's come back and re-examine. And then we're going to do this all properly. And we're all properly trained in diagnosing leprosy or diagnosing somebody's sin on whether it's truly a terrible, unclean sin. They need to be cast out of the camp or, or they can stay in the congregation. We don't go through any proper procedure when it comes to analyzing somebody's sin or somebody's uncleanness. We don't do this. So we shouldn't. So we need to be mindful of the things that we say, mindful of the things that we do. So this then brings us to our next passage in the New Testament. I want to go to James chapter 3. This is the passage that is all about the untamable human tongue. The things that we say and the things that we declare and that we try to uh, project uncleanness onto somebody else, Yet we are warned here in the letter written by James that tells us we should be very careful with what we say and what we, particularly whether we curse others and bless someone else or vice versa. 
So let me read here James chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we all shall receive a stricter judgment. That's a warning for all of us. It's like, it's like okay, you want to be the one that tells somebody that their sin makes them unclean and they have to be cast out of the congregation? Okay, we're held to a higher standard. If you want to be in that positional authority, okay, but are you ready for the higher standard that you are placed under in that case? When you're a teacher, you got to be mindful of this. If you speak for a living and you teach the Word of God or you're a teacher of knowledge, you better be mindful with what you say. It better be right. It better be true. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the, world, in the Word, he is a perfect man. I even stumbled as I said that sentence. Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are, so, are very large, driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires, even so the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great forest, a great uh, forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell, for every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father, and with it we curse men, who has been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring set forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or the grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and, and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield." full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What an amazing passage. I love uh, it. was one of my favorite chapters because it, is so, it speaks so much to <clears throat> diffusing any sort of argument or situation that begins with words, that begins with saying something about somebody else, that either is, might be true, but it's unkind, or it's out of envy or strife or jealousy, or it's about self, somebody is, is self-seeking to say something about someone else. Maybe you say this about a position, uh, an authority that's above you, and you want to say something about a person that you're like, oh yeah, but they shouldn't be in charge because look at them, this is what they do. Do you want to be led by that? And so, what you, so whatever you might be saying might be true, but if you're saying it because you're seeking that person's position, mm, that's where you, the envy and the strife that you're sowing is for your own benefit. These things are earthly, sensual, and demonic. These things are not from the Lord. This is the wisdom of man. Let's tear them down so that I can be exalted. 
This is not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is not to is not to tear somebody else down to elevate, but to simply elevate those who have who are meek, who are humble, who do who what are all these things? Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. Those are the kinds of people that you sit and you go and you exalt. And you don't have to tear somebody else down to exalt those that are humble and meek among us. That's what we should be doing is lifting one another up with our words. But how often do our words don't reflect that? Our words are spoken to, to, to try and cast doubt in other people's minds, or we're trying, to, uh, we're trying to manipulate people with our words or with the way that we say something or giving them partial truths, half-truths, and we don't ever just speak the truth in love. We don't just go to one another trying to help one another. And you know what? This is why we have a lot of divide in our congregations and in our communities. Because we are constantly trying to be the judge as to who is the righteous ones of the community and who are the lepers who should be cast out into the world. Not to be a part of us, because we only want the people that are like this. I'm basically describing a lot of congregations and churches and a lot of people that try to isolate certain things and burn bridges with other groups of people. This is not, this is not how it should be to where we are all doing our best to follow the Word of God and to, to, to speak truth and to not be defiled, to keep ourselves clean. That's really what all of Leviticus is all about. Keep yourselves clean, guys. Keep yourself clean. Don't eat these things. Don't, 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 don't do these particular things right there. This is what will keep you holy as God is holy. Then we all can be in the community. Then there's no reason to diagnose leprosy or there's no reason to cast people out or to, for people to be cut off from among their people to not be defiled in any way. And these are things that we need to understand. What is the thing that really, truly divides us? Well, our sin and our uncleanness divides us from God. <clears throat> and sin and uncleanness can, be divided, can divide people from other people. But only if it truly has been sought out and it's been and reconciliation has been attempted to be made or that forgiveness can be had or, or repentance has taken place, teshuvah, returning back to trying to work together with one another, that we need to go through all of those steps and processes before we just start cutting people off. And see, that's what the rabbis in, in the time of Messiah, see, that's what they were all about. The religious leaders all, had all of their traditions and all of their things and says, if you do this this way then you can be a part of us. If you don't do it this way, oh, my God, how dare you? And see, what they did is they eventually took many of their traditions and they made them equal to the commands of God. And that takes us to our next passage here. Talking about what truly does defile a man. This is a conversation that took place with the Messiah. The Pharisees, people sat down. Apparently they were having a meal here in Jerusalem. And uh, then the, the scribes, Pharisees who were in Jerusalem, they came to the Messiah saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Okay, so apparently there was this whole thing back in the first century where it's like that, that, that if you washed, ate bread with unwashed hands, that then you were defiled. That you have somehow defiled something, and it's all like that. That's not exactly there in Torah. Now, do we understand in modern times? Yeah, hygiene's pretty good. Yeah, you should wash your hands before you eat. You don't want to get sick or, or anything like that. But the rabbis made that some sort of religious doctrine that they had to. People had to wash their hands before eating bread; otherwise, they became defiled. Now, this is where the Messiah very much took took issue with them. 
talking about how these people, I mean, you have made your traditions to be equal with the commandments of God. He answered them and he said this, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, talking to the Pharisees, that whoever, sa- that whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have and receive from me is a gift from God. This might be something that they said. They're like, oh, children are a gift and, and, and they, uh, from God to their parents. So they, they may have, they're sort of mixing the words and they're like, okay, yeah, honor your father and mother, but it's okay for somebody to say that they're, that they boast in front of their, their parents. And he need, then he need not to honor his father and mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, when he called the multitude to himself and he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this? (laughs) And he answered them and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders, blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. And Jesus said to them, are you still without understanding? Do you yet understand that whatever enters a mouth does go into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now, it's not talking about eating anything, but it's talking about like dirt being on your hands. And if you happen to eat a little dirt while, you, while you're eating a piece of bread, that's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you. It doesn't say in Scripture not to uh, eat dirt or make sure you don't let any dirt come into contact with your mouth. I mean, now, in modern times, that still sounds like, that's dirty, I really don't want to do that. I remember there was an old commercial, I think it was Miller High Life, that talked about a a mechanic with grease on his hands eating a donut, and it was just talking about, like, hey, if some of that grease gets on that donut, that's just flavor to a High Life man. I mean, it's like, that. none of that's really going to hurt you, going to kill you, and there's no commandment against it. But the rabbis of the time were making it equal to the commandments. So he flips around the whole thing. I mean, where, where the rabbis might take interpretations from the Scripture and that this is the, the, the whole measure by which somebody is unclean it has to do with what they eat, has to do with their skin condition, and has to do with how they uh, live their life and what they have sex with according to Leviticus chapter 18. If that's the only metric, then man, there's a whole lot of really clean people in the world. But are they really clean? Or do they still sin spiritually? Of course, we're, we're all unclean. We all have different things and intents in our hearts, and we say things that we shouldn't say to one another. You can follow the commandments in perfect, in accordance, perfectly with the word. Yet, you could still be as unclean and as nasty as you could possibly be by the words that you say and what comes out of your mouth. All those things that the rabbis say that, that, that commit adultery, it kind of read like this same list right here murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, 
false witness, blasphemies. These are evil thoughts, evil things that proceed from the heart of man. Ultimately, what defiles us is what comes out of our mouth. Not what goes into our mouth, like it describes for, for Leviticus chapter 11. That says, yeah, we, we should do those things. We, we should be clean. We should follow those commandments because that's what God said. But ultimately, the greatest thing that divides us is the intents of the heart, is the things that we might say to one another. That's what causes true defilement, true uncleanness. And you know what the Messiah came? No, he came not only healing the leprosy, but he came healing the hearts of man. What did he say to the leper when he was cleansed? He said, go and sin no more. Go and show yourself to the priest and go, 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 go do this in the accordance of law of Moses. And he's like, I'm making you clean. Not just clean physically of, of, of your skin, but be clean in your heart. Have yourself clean hands and a pure heart physically and spiritually, may we be cleansed. That's what God came to, that's what God came in the flesh in the form of Messiah to teach us to be made clean in all of these different ways. Because too many people look at everything on the surface. Everything is, is on the surface level, something that appears to be unclean. But we never endeavor to go into the heart of the matter where you see a person that maybe on the outside, yeah, they're a sinner. And the way they dress, the way that they act, they behave. But inside is the heart of a beautiful creation of God. And that we need cleansing to come into their hearts, into their lives. And see, that's what leprosy kind of points us to. It's a sign that shows that there's something going on deeper under the surface. That's why leprosy couldn't be declared if it was just skin, skin level, skin deep. No, the, the, the priests were given different things that look deeper. See what's going on. Is there uncleanness deeper within that person? When the person was isolated after being declared possibly with leprosy and says, hey, go isolate for seven days. What do you think that person was doing for seven days? They just living their life as usual? No, they're isolated. Turn your heart to the Lord. Father, I don't want to be declared unclean. Take a seven-day sabbatical. Take, take some time. Get your heart right with God. Ask for forgiveness of the sins and the things that you've struggled with and all of that. Then you're going to come back before the priest, and then you're going to get checked out again. Because God can bring healing to your skin, and the priest can say, ah, you're good. But if you don't get your heart right, that priest could take a look and just be like, ah, you know what? It's still there. The, whatever it is that is causing this uncleanness, it runs deep. What's going on deeper under the surface? And you know what? Your sin and this uncleanness runs so deep that you can't be in community anymore. We need to be cleansed of all of it. We need to be healed of all of it. Not just the, the, the uncleanness on the outside, but deep within our hearts. As I said before, and I, I taught, be, be mindful with what you say. Be mindful with the declarations that you make. You're not a priest to make the declarations of who's clean and unclean. We need to sit there, we need to reach out, we need to love one another, and we need to bring unity, cleansing to all of the body. This is what we can learn here from the testimony of the first century and how it can tie to leprosy and the declaration of leprosy. Next week, we'll talk about the cleansing of the leper, which one of the great miracles that our Messiah did, and we'll talk all about that come next week in next week's Brit Hadashah portion. So for now, let me say amen. And let us thank the Lord for this time. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time, this teaching, for your instruction, for the portion of Tazria. Father, as we dig into your word each and every week, Father, you make it alive, you make it powerful. And so, Father, I pray that this message will speak to the hearts of those 
who might be struggling with these things at this time. Father, may our traditions, Father, fall in line with your word and your commandments and your instructions. May we never take our traditions or any sort of haughtiness, Lord, that we know better in our own lives that they might replace what you have taught us here through your word and through your instruction. Father, I pray that you would just continue to help to make us clean. As we go through the book of Leviticus, Father, it's all about cleanness. It's all about holiness. It's all about not being, being defiled. And so, Father, may we learn all the things that they might, so that we might remain clean. Not only the physical things, Lord, to watch out for, but the spiritual things inside our hearts, the secret sins that we keep bottled up that make us unclean, Lord, Father, I pray that we would just remove those things, make us clean in, in our hearts, deep within our souls and in our minds, Father, that you would cleanse us, Lord, of all of those things. And so, Father, I pray that when it comes to everything with the book of Leviticus, may we look even deeper to the heart of the matter so that we might be a people that are holy unto you, that are holy as you are holy, as we are a special treasure chosen from among all nations, Father. May we learn to be your people in right accordance with your word. We bless you, we praise you, and we thank you for this time and this teaching. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.